Hello, everyone. I am Rick Thomas, and you're listening to the Life Over Coffee podcast. How would you like to walk through a minefield? Well, I had a wife ask me a question, and I'm going to try to answer it through this pod throughout this podcast, and I trust it will be a benefit to you. Here is the question. Must a wife have sex with her husband so that he won't stray? Now, as you listen to the title of this episode, let that be your viewer discretion warning. And so you may want to listen to this podcast privately, but you determine how you want to do that. This is episode 414. And again, the title of it is, Must a Wife Have Sex With Her Husband So That He Won't Stray? There is a one-sided and what I think is a perverse teaching that some Christians have pushed forward that wives should make themselves available for their husbands to keep them in the home, not looking for sex elsewhere. Now, this perspective presumes that the wife becomes the solution for a husband's sexual desire and drive plus the deterrent for extramarital activity. I can hear many grandmothers right now telling their granddaughters on their wedding day that you just give him uh, what he wants and, and you just endure because men will be men. And that would be unfortunate advice. Somebody would need to take that granddaughter aside and actually take the husband aside too. And I trust that that would happen in premarital counseling because a component of premarital counseling should be this very subject that I'm talking about here, not just with this specific issue, uh, but a full perspective on what sex and sexuality is. And so is this the proper way for Christian women to think about and to respond to their husbands? Well, it's not. And I want to talk about it here in episode 414. Now, if you go to the show notes, what you will find, among other things, is that there is an accompanying podcast that I did. It was about 200 and something podcasts ago. It was about two years ago where I answered this question, but I answered it in a different way. And the reason that I'm doing this podcast now is because I want to give you a one-hour treatment of it, not just that 30-minute podcast. And so this will be different from the last podcast I did on it. But go to episode 414, and you can find the first one that I did. You can listen to it. And then, of course, you can listen to this one, and then it will give you one hour uh, treatment on this subject because it is just that important. We do get that question from time to time, and it's almost, I would say, 99.99% of the time it is from wives because husbands are abusing the privilege of sex and sexuality within uh, the covenant, and that's why we get the question, and that's why I want to spend time uh, interacting with it in this episode as well as the one uh, a couple hundred podcasts ago. But again, you can find the link right here. Now, let's talk about attractiveness just for a second. Should a husband and wife be attractive to each other? Well, the answer is is yes. We should We should do all that it depends upon us to be attractive. Now, I'm not talking about just physical attractiveness. I'm talking about spiritual attractiveness as well. For those of you who have been married for a while and and, and your spouse is really pursuing God, uh, then it's hard for you to tell uh, if you're 
spouse is attractive physically because you see that inner beauty coming out of your husband or coming out of out of your wife. I find that so much with with my wife. I I know her uh, in a deeply spiritual way. I know her walk with the Lord, and so I see a beauty that nobody else can see, not the way that I can see it. And so she is very attractive. I think she's attractive physically as well, but I'm so blinded by her spirituality um, or so influenced by her spirituality that uh, it, it, it's conflating to me. That we should do all that we can do to be attractive, to be physically in shape. Maybe you want to think about it that way. That's one of the ways that we think about it. And the reason that we spend time thinking about being physically and spiritually in shape is, quite frankly, because of the Great Commission. We're to go out and make disciples. We're, we're to go out and find people and to teach them all that Christ has taught us. It's one of the primary ways that we can love God and love others by fulfilling the Great Commission. Well, if you are not taking care of yourself physically and spiritually, then you will have a hard time fulfilling the Great Commission. And so this is something that Lucia and I talk about often. We even work out together uh, because we want to be in shape. I've said in other places that this is one of the, maybe the only time that you can say uh, within a Christian worldview that I am number one, that you are number one, that you have to take care of yourself. It's an infrastructure question. It's an infrastructure problem. If you don't take care of yourself infrastructurally, physically, and spiritually, then you're going to break down, and it's, it's going to be hard for you to finish strong. And I know how difficult that is now because I'm an old man, and uh, my body gets tired, and it aches all the time. And the temptation to quit just to mail it in as my old man is wasting away uh, the, to fold up the tent early and just not keep pushing myself physically and spiritually i don't want to do that and i ask the lord to give me the grace the persevering grace to be able to continue to work out to eat right to stay in shape to be attractive as i possibly can physically but also spiritually and so you want to take care of your full dichotomy but with that said, there is a big-time caveat here that I want you to understand. See, the problem with being attractive or physically fit, uh, the problem with that is that it is a subjective pursuit. Beauty is in the eye of the beholder. What, what does that mean? And if we're not careful, uh, we can be enticed. We can dr be drawn into cultural influences, and then we will have a skewed view of what physically fit or attractiveness is. And most definitely, when the culture talks about being spiritually fit, almost always, uh, or, or talking about being attractive, almost always, they're talking about their physicality. And depending on how much you imbibe on cultural influences, whether through social media, these platforms that we have here, or television, or movies, or whatever influence where the culture can, they create those tributaries into our minds, and then that gives us a worldview of what physical fit or attractiveness is, and it's almost always devoid of spirituality. And so if those are your influences, then you can most definitely have a 
a skewed view of what being attractive is. Maybe a better question is whether we should take care of ourselves to steward, uh, to steward the grace of God that has been given to us. That is a better way of framing the argument. Yes, we should be good stewards of our spiritual selves and our physical selves. Men and women should work, work hard to take care of their full, complete dichotomy, both body and soul. And so you don't want to overvalue or misunderstand beauty because of cultural influences. That would be one ditch where we overvalue it or misunderstand it because of cultural influences. And then you don't want to underappreciate who you are and how God had made you. One of the temptations for many of us is because of cultural influences and what we see out there is that we can begin to compare ourselves and then we can live this low-level life of discontentment because we're comparing ourselves with what the culture presents. But we want a bibliocentric view of what it means to be physically and spiritually fit. And part of that has to do with our motivations. And that's why I tied physical attractiveness and spiritual attractiveness, I tied it to the Great Commission. That has to be our motivation, not to look good on some magazine Uh, cover or not to compete with whatever the culture is putting forth. Fear and insecurity are two of the most significant drivers of our motivations when it comes to our physical appearance. And again, if you're given over to comparing yourself to other people, you can fall into that ditch quickly. I have a link here to an excellent article which also ties to a webinar that I would encourage you to watch That one-hour webinar is on the fear of man, insecurity, codependency, peer pressure, whichever label you want to use. But the problem is is that when we start to compare ourselves to other people, uh, we can succumb to that pressure and then begin to adapt ourselves to those cultural expectations that we cannot do. And so we have to stay out of the ditches. I don't want to be culturally influenced to where I'm bending myself into their assumptions but I also don't want to give up. I want to keep working out physically and spiritually to stay in the best shape that I possibly can physically and spiritually because I want more people to hear about the practical message of Christ. Now, part of the problem with the question about uh, providing sex to a husband so that he won't stray Part of that is tied to 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 3, 4, and 5. I would encourage you to read that passage of Scripture. I would imagine most of you are familiar with it. And basically, the passage says we shouldn't deprive each other. Uh, and, and that's true. We should not deprive each other. And it also says that the husband's body belongs to the wife, and the wife's body belongs to the man. And that is true as well. But some people have twisted and taught 1 Corinthians 7, verses 3, 4, and 5 to mean that a wife's body belongs to her husband, and he can use it as he sees fit, even for self-centered purposes. Thus, if he wants you to be sexy, then you must work to give him what he wants, and that is a huge problem. Now, again, we have two ditches here that we want to address. We are sexual creatures. God may 
made us that way, and that is nothing to be ashamed about. And so we're sexual creatures, and we should not deprive one another, but we should fully enjoy one another, both physically and spiritually. And so that is true. That's one side. And then on the other side, however, if we demand that a spouse be a certain way, to satisfy our sinful cravings, or if we choose to find sexual fulfillment outside of marriage, then we are sinning. And so you have to choose you this day which side you're going to land on. And I would appeal to you to recognize that we are sexual creatures and we should not deprive one another, but we should enjoy each other. But that full stop there, We cannot push it to the point to where uh, we expect you to satisfy. It's not about satisfying sinful cravings. In fact, that is the exact opposite of what sex and sexuality is within uh, the biblical covenant of marriage. The, The wife's body belongs to the man, and what he wants to do is he wants to bless it. He wants to bless his wife, not to selfishly use his wife for self-centered purposes, and the same goes for the wife as well. The problem here is that some people do assert that he cannot control his urges, and that's what I was saying earlier, that there is a presumption here. And, and the title of the of the episode 414 must a wife have sex with her husband so that he won't stray you hear the presumption in that title and that's how the question was put forth to me some people assert that he cannot control his urges which levels part of the blame of his sexual appetite on his wife's lacking of fulfilling it and that is completely unbiblical I mean, you can think about it this way, that if he has a, a sinful sexual appetite that he's trying to satisfy, to satiate, then he will never satiate it. In Ecclesiastes 1.8, it talks about the eye never being full of seeing, never being satisfied, or the ear never being full of hearing. In Ecclesiastes, what Solomon is talking about is how vain the world is, that it does not satisfy, which is finally he gets to chapter 12 in Ecclesiastes, and he gives us the solution to the problem, which is God himself, because everything in this world is vanity of vanities, saith the preacher. And the eye is never full of seeing, and the ear is never full of hearing. And so if you go from the perspective that Uh, you can satisfy his sexual cravings. You will never satisfy his sexual cravings. They will only get worse. Uh, They will only grow exponentially. I use the illustration sometimes talking about this of a crack addict. Imagine you had a crack addict that lived next door. The reason I, one of the reasons I use that illustration is because we had a crack addict that lived next door to us for a number of years, maybe about a decade or eight years or so, went to prison, all of this, so forth and so on. But a crack addict, whether next door or not, if you give them what they want, it's not going to satisfy them. It will satisfy them for a few moments. It'll satisfy them for a few minutes, maybe a day or two, if that long. But ultimately, it will never satisfy. And so it's setting up a situation that can only deteriorate because if the husband's urges are satisfied, his sexual temptation 
is satisfied by his wife, and if he doesn't meet his expectations, then it's his fault. Well, first of all, it's moving, it's shifting the argument to where it's her fault, not his, and then there is an assumption that he's going to find satisfaction for his temptations through her. In James chapter 1, verses 14 and 15, it says that each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. And so James turns this lust around, and he says that it's not the wife's fault that's not satisfying. No, you have an insatiable desire. You're lured by your own desire. It's not the other person that's making you do this, or it's not the other person that's causing this. The cause is inside of you. He says each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And when it is fully grown, it brings forth death. James talks about this in another way, talking about anger in James 4. He says, what What's the cause? Uh, What is the source of your anger? Is it not this? You desire and you do not have, and so you murder. Well, that's a parallel of what he's saying here in James 1, verses 14 and 15. You desire and you do not have, and so uh, you take it out on your wife in this case. And so the wife is not the one that satisfies the husband's sinful desire. The husband needs to submit himself to the Spirit of God, informed by the Word of God, so that he's exercising a part of the fruit of the Spirit, which is self-control. God is the one that keeps us from temptation. He is the one uh, that that, uh, keeps us from sinning, uh, not using other people, whether it's the crack addict that we're given a bump to every three or four days so that we can satisfy her. It won't satisfy. Or a wife, it's her responsibility to satisfy his sinful Uh, sinful uh, temptations, it won't satisfy because the eye is never full of seeing and the ear is never full of hearing. The husband needs to turn that around. There is a reciprocation. I will experience gratification, but it's only after I give to her, not take from her. And so that is a completely different direction. And one of the things that a wife would have to do in a situation like this is to guard against being gaslit lit by her husband. Gaslit is a popular term now that's been used a lot. And basically what it means is someone uh, putting words into your mind. They're trying to thought control you. And so it's like saying, Uh, They're blaming you. It is your fault as to why I am not satisfied. If you begin to believe that lie, then that's what it means to be gaslit. And so another way of talking about being gaslit is someone drives you crazy. After a while, if a person keeps telling you something over and over and over and over and over again, and then you believe it, you have been gaslit. And this is what a wife would have to be careful uh, that she doesn't succumb to that. And so in this case, she would need a friend uh, to be able to walk her through this so that she doesn't make that exchanging the truth of God for a lie. And a husband can, and a wife can do this to a husband as well. But in this context, in this episode, I'm talking about a husband who's manipulating the wife to get her to believe a lie, placing the blame on her because of 
according to him, what she's not doing, saying that it is your fault. Adam was trying to gaslight God, you could say, in Genesis 3 when he said, that woman you gave me. I would imagine, based on the implication there, that if Adam was talking to Eve, he would say that it's her fault as well. He would gaslight her too. And so a wife will have to be careful in a situation like this that she uh, is aware that she can be gaslit, and the husband's desire will be to tempt her to exchange the truth of God for a lie. And so she needs two things speaking into her mind. One would be God's word, and the other would be someone who can be that individual to reorient or recalibrate her mind as she's giving herself up to being gaslit by her husband. Another caution for the wife in this situation is that she needs to beware of competing uh, with cultural norms or cyberspace ladies. Uh, I have another article here that's linked and the title of it is should um, the title of it is how can I compete with cyber women? Well, I would encourage you to read that article. First of all, you can't compete with cyber women. And by the way, cyber women, they have a, a short shelf life, uh, whatever that is. They can only do what they do for a few years, and then they're just replaceable. They're just re- And the next batch comes in of cyber women. And so they're not even real anyway. And so that is a danger when you set yourself up to compete with these images that are in cyberspace or trying to compete with cultural norms norms. That ties back to what I was saying earlier, that a husband can gaslight you that way too. He can try to get you to try to convince you to believe that this is what beauty is, and this is what you should be, and this is how you should be. And he's now stacking you up to um, cultural norms or what you see in cyberspace, and you you can begin to believe that as well. And that's where he is. He would be manipulating you or gaslighting you. And so you want to guard against that as well. And that's where uh, the Bible's teaching would be very important here, as well as having a strong, courageous friend who would uh, talk you through this so that you don't succumb to those kinds of temptations. The beauty and expectation of biblical intimacy is the spiritual, physical reciprocation between a husband and a wife. And so it is a husband who really wants to love his wife so well that the the, his sole desire is is to uh, is, is to take her body and to uh, cause her to use or, or to benefit from the uh, intimacy in the highest possible ways because he is other centered the direction of his motivation is toward his wife and then the wife's direction of her motivation is toward her husband and so it is a reciprocating activity and that is the beauty and the expectation of biblical intimacy now if you have a husband who is like this to where he is gaslighting you Uh, where he is placing the blame for his own sinful sexual cravings and appetites on you, and that he has bought into this teaching, this defiled understanding of intimacy, then you do need to find help to sort things out. And so let me give you four things to consider, and then I have some questions that, or uh, I think they're questions, or I have statements at the end, have seven statements I want to make to you. If the husband has succumbed to this, and one of the things that you have to ask is that, is he a Christian? 
is he a Christian? And and the way sometimes I talk to people about this, is he a Christian or is she a Christian, is can you make your case to Christ? If Jesus Christ were sitting right next to you and you wanted to convince Jesus that your spouse is a believer, what would you tell him? What would you tell him? What would be your argument? How would you make a case to Christ uh, that your spouse is a Christian? And number two, uh, what have been the shaping influences in his life? Now, that's an important question because you want to help him. Now, more than likely, he came into marriage with, with a bad template for biblical intimacy or just intimacy, period. He didn't know what biblical intimacy was. Many people come into marriage not knowing what biblical intimacy is, not only not knowing what it is, but they have a bad understanding of what it is. Uh, the third question is, what is the condition of his conscience? Has his conscience been dulled? Is his conscience hard? Our conscience is moldable. And sometimes you can be sinning for so long that it just lays down uh, these thin layers over a person's conscience to where they become dull or they become hard. Now, that is something that you do have to think through. Uh, after a while, if you sin for so long, you, you, you desensitize your internal moral thermostat to right or wrong. You can't even tell right or wrong any longer because you become so hardened in your conscience because you have been rejecting God for so long. And so is he a Christian? What have been the shaping influences in his life that has brought him to this place? And what, that's important because if you're going to help to restore him in a spirit of gentleness and meekness, then you need to understand why he is this way. You also want to understand the condition of his conscience. Is he sensitive to God's word? Is he sensitive to spiritual things? If he's a believer, if he's not a believer, then he's, it's worse than a dull and a hardened conscience. He's dead in his trespasses and sins, according to Ephesians 2. So is he a Christian? What have been the shaping influences in his life? What is the condition of his conscience? And then number four, is he sexually active outside the marriage bond, meaning primarily pornography? And then my follow-up question is, how do you know if he is or he isn't? The key idea here is that, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, I'm quoting Paul here in Galatians 6, 1, then you who are spiritual, you who have the Spirit, you should restore him in a spirit of gentleness, keeping watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Many, if not most men, have never received training on biblical intimacy. For couples. They did not come from reciprocating romantic homes where they observed their parents loving each other the right way. They, they've just never seen it. That's going back to what I was saying earlier about shaping influences. And, and today it is even worse. The tutors for most of today's kids are social media, peer-to-peer indoctrination on all things sex. And that's one of the reasons I think it's dangerous for parents to give their children cell phones at a young age because they don't have the self-control, they don't have the maturity, and they're easily duped and sucked into these social media platforms to where they receive their indoctrination from peer-to-peer -peer relationships, including indoctrinations on all things sex. And so it is, it is even worse today that they not only don't have a biblical 
template. They haven't seen a romantic relationship between their parents and their being mentored on uh, social media. This is episode 414, Must a Wife Have Sex with Her Husband So He Won't Stray? Here's a few things that I would love for you to think about. And again, please go to episode 14 to get all of these links as well. If your husband has a warped view and views on practices about sex and sexuality, then you have to guard your heart against looking down on him. You must not complicate a caught person by reacting sinfully to him. Now, that will take a lot of spiritual strength from you, uh, depending on the nature of your relationship. But this could be a huge challenge for you to keep from taking a a moral superior perspective that self-righteously looks down on him. And so here are seven quick things. Number one, you start by praying for your husband. Number two, you pity him because he is caught according to Galatians 6. Number three, you ask God to give you affection for him as a fellow image bearer. You might not have affection for him because he's your husband, uh, but as a fellow image bearer. And we should have affection. We should pray for affection and pity for all image bearers, regardless of who they are. We don't have to agree with them. We're not rubber stamping. We're not affirming what they do, but they are fellow image bearers. Number four, you ensure that you have clarity on what biblical intimacy is and is not. Number five, appeal to him to learn with you. Number three, uh, six, appeal to him to change, and then you help him change. And then number seven, seek help. Seek outside help, especially if he is unwilling to learn and change. Submission does not mean giving him everything that he wants, the way he wants it, when he wants it, how he wants it. One of the best ways that you can honor your husband is by seeking outside help. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. You have been listening to Life Over Coffee with Rick Thomas. If you have a question for Rick, you can let him know by sending him a note through his website, rickthomas.net. That's rickthomas.net. Thanks for listening. Enjoy your coffee.